0: Good morning. As Pete said, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrusted to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this." Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself.
1: Uh, friends, let's bow in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> Our gracious Father, we want to thank you for... Um, your uh, wonderful word uh, that speaks so clearly to us of, uh, uh, of you and us and life and ministry. Uh, we pray for ourselves now as we pray for the uh, many children in the kids' church that uh, we would be focusing on uh, your word and seeking to understand it and apply it in our lives, that we would be men and women who are confident in the gospel, and who move the Gospel forward uh, into our world and through the generations. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the happiest place in Port Macquarie? It's Nobby's Beach, don't you think? It's Nobby's Beach because that's where all of the dogs are unchained. Uh, without any leash constraining them, they're free. There's dogs of all shapes and sizes and colours and uh, they're running, they're swimming, they're fetching, they're making new friends. It's a great place to be, isn't it? It's uh, where I go to when I need some cheap therapy uh, to Nobby's Beach. And it's a very different uh, picture uh, to being chained up. It's a very different picture to being constrained and being unable to be free, which is what some people want of the word of God. Uh, There are people who don't want the message of the gospel to be able to run free. Uh, They'd much rather have it chained up. They'd much rather have it on a leash. They'd much rather have it so that it uh, could actually not make any difference in our world and not impact anybody's lives. How do they do that? Well, you know what they say, don't you? If you don't like the message, what do you do? You you shoot the messenger, don't you? And uh, which, taken literally, is a very drastic uh, way of trying to chain up God's word. And in some parts of the world, that is exactly what does happen, where people who share the gospel do so at the risk of their own lives. But more commonly, uh, people put their liberty at risk, as Christians uh, in many places are are imprisoned, are locked up, uh, simply for telling others about Jesus. However, in our culture, people try to chain up God's word in more sophisticated ways, don't they? In more subtle ways. Uh, For example, uh, by dismissing the Bible by uh, dismissing the Bible as being just an ancient book uh, which uh, is steeped in ancient culture and ancient ideas and and which couldn't possibly be of any relevance or of any use for life today. Sometimes uh, we can feel uh, less like the gospel is being chained up and more like it's being muzzled Um, In fact, as Christians, we can feel that we are being muzzled because there are people who would prefer that our generation, this generation alive today, that we would be the last generation uh, in Australia to hear and to believe God's word. Uh, They would rather that the message of the gospel would die with us. Now, of course, there's nothing new in that, is there? Um, it's why when the Apostle Paul wrote uh, the letter which we call to Timothy, that he did so from a prison cell in Rome. And you might want to have your Bibles open at 2 Timothy uh, because that's why in chapter 1, uh, Paul reminded Timothy that uh, God did not give Timothy a spirit of timidity, but rather that God had given Timothy... A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. A spirit of power, love, and self-discipline because preaching the gospel is not easy work. In fact, preaching the gospel is dangerous work. Dangerous work, uh, which could require Timothy, which would require Timothy to be strong. So I want to look at uh, this issue of uh, strength Um, And what Paul means by strength, what does it mean for Timothy to be strong? Uh, So chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, what does that mean? Well, we know that when we um, share the gospel, that God, by his spirit, is with us, don't we? Um, The Lord Jesus uh, in uh, the prayer in John 17 prayed that when he left that God would send the spirit as the counsellor, as the comforter, as the advocate who would be alongside uh, his followers. And so we know that God by his spirit is with us when we're sharing the gospel. And that's strengthening, isn't it? In fact, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, when Paul says that he uh, he was on trial, he had to present his case... And all of the Christians had deserted him. There was not one Christian who turned up there uh, to be alongside him. And he said, well, uh, you know, never mind, because he knows that God was with him by his spirit. And he was able to actually preach the gospel at his trial. And that is very strengthening to know that we're not alone. But here, Paul says... That, to be, that says to Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which I take it means it's a slightly different uh, nuance, it's obviously related and so on, but it means that our strength in one sense comes from the message itself because it is a message of grace. For in the gospel, God offers free forgiveness, free eternal life, To all who would turn to Him and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing offer. That is great news. And when we grasp uh, that uh, by God's Spirit, it actually has an impact on us and it affects our convictions. It affects our conviction and it strengthens us so that we would proclaim the gospel regardless of the cost to us personally because we know it is a message of grace that can change the lives of those who hear. That is, uh, we're not playing a game, are we? Uh, We know that the gospel is an eternal message for all people for all time. Which is why the apostle did not envisage that the gospel would die out with him. Uh, Let's have a look at verse 2. And the things you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Now, I remember at one time, you know every few years or so statistics come out about church attendance and all of that sort of thing and uh, these these statistics had been released and uh, as you'd expect, um, it's always the case that they show that the statistics of Church attendance—they're on the decline. Fewer and fewer people coming to church, and so on. I—I I think it's because the people are coming to church actually believe the gospel rather than it just being a cultural thing. But uh, anyway, they're interviewing a church a Christian leader, and they said to him, "You know, with this uh, decline in church attendance that's been announced today, do you think there's much future for the church in Australia?" And just like that, he says, so long as the church in Australia continues to preach that Jesus died for sins and rose again, the church in Australia has got a great future. And he's right, isn't he? I I think he got that from the Apostle Paul, don't you? That's where he got it from, because Paul had no thought that the gospel would die when he did. And he was expecting that he would be executed as a result uh, following on from his imprisonment. He had no thought that the gospel would die when he did. Instead, what he did was he entrusted the gospel, entrusted the responsibility of gospel ministry to Timothy, who is to then pass on that to reliable men, who in turn would be to, to, uh, were to pass that on to others. And so what we see there is that there are four generations stated Four generations moving forward with the gospel. I don't think Paul intended it to finish at the fourth generation. It's a recurring thing. Paul entrusts Timothy with the gospel, who entrusts it to reliable men, who in turn entrust it to others, and so on and so forth. Now, has anyone ever entrusted you, uh, to keep hold of something for them. Usually when they do, it's something which is precious, isn't it? Or very valuable. And there is nothing more precious than the gospel. And so, therefore, what kind of men should Timothy hand gospel ministry onto? What qualities that he sh- should he look for? Is it leadership skills? Is it uh, preaching ability? Is it... Uh, pastoral understanding. These are all very good things, aren't they? But what does Paul actually mention? He mentions reliability. Reliability. Reliability because true gospel ministry uh, involves enduring hardship, which Paul illustrates um, by describing uh, what is normally expected in some common occupations. Um, First of all, he talks about soldiering, being in the military. Let me read verses 3 and 4. Endure suffering with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Now, when uh, Anzac Day comes around in in April... uh, we're going to hear a lot of stories, aren't we? The stories of, of good soldiering. We're, going to, we're not going to be hearing stories about half hearted soldiers who uh, you know, got entangled in civilian affairs. No, we're going to be hearing stories of soldiers who had a single minded commitment because that's how wars are won. And Paul applies this to those who are involved in uh, gospel leadership which doesn't mean that those who are serving in gospel ministry can't have normal, regular, um, secular jobs. Um, Paul himself was a tent maker. Uh, But rather that they must be people, men and women, who have a single-minded commitment to the gospel rather than uh, being concerned about money and concerning about the comfort and the affairs of the world. Now, Paul knew what this was like. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 11 uh, of 2 Timothy, he mentions a, pic- a particular man who uh, was one of his uh, co-workers uh, and when you know, Paul's in prison for the sake of the gospel and this co-worker, his name was Demas, deserted him, just left him there in prison and he went off somewhere else and Paul says that the reason he did that was because he, he loved the world. He loved the world more than Christ. So single-minded commitment to the gospel. Secondly, Paul speaks of athletes. Pick it up at verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the athlete's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, um, Paul uh, may very well have had in mind the Olympic Games. Um, The ancient... Olympic Games. I'm not sure if we're go. we going to have an Olympic Games this year. I think it's planned for, isn't it? I don't think we'll be having a torch relay going around the world. I doubt that that's going to happen. But Paul would have had in mind the ancient Olympic Games uh, where, where these days in the Olympic Games the, the crown, well it's not a crown is it, you get a gold medal. And it's usually after the event that drug, drug cheats get caught and they get stripped of their medal. You can go onto Google, search, you know, gold medals stripped from people. There's a long list of them. Now, in the same way, reliable gospel leaders uh, don't try to build God's kingdom by wrongful means, by means that are not been established by God. They don't try to build God's kingdom... By means which are not the gospel. Because that's like cheating. And it wins them no no reward. It has no benefit. Rather, they are to be faithful to the gospel. Uh, they are to, as we'll see next week, to be uh, uh, those who handle the word of God correctly in their preaching and in their teaching and in their pastoring. And that is... Playing by the rules. Thirdly, reliable gospel workers are like farmers. Verse 6 The hard working farmer should be the first to share the crop. I spent six years ministering in a farming community at, uh, on the other side of the ranges. And uh, in, you know it was sheep and cattle and wheat and so on and so forth. And in that six years, I never met one single farmer who just planted the seeds and then sat back and relaxed and took it easy until the harvest came. Not one. Now good farmers work very hard, and it's because they work very hard that they are the ones who reap the benefits. In the same way, those who are entrusted with gospel responsibility should work hard. Work hard carefully studying the scriptures, carefully preparing, carefully teaching the gospel, praying and caring for people. That's what it means. Now, um, talent and charisma can be good things. Used properly. But they're actually not the critical factor. Uh, the kind of people who will carry the precious gospel forward in Australia uh, into the next decade, into the next century, and into every century thereafter until the Lord Jesus returns will be men and women who are single minded for the Gospel, who are faithful to the Gospel, and who work hard for the Gospel. It's all about the Gospel. It's about the message being carried forward. Uh, One Christian leader who made, you know, one of the biggest impacts on me, was not a man who in any way could be described as being the life of the party. <laughs> he was actually a bit shy, a bit retiring. And, and he's not the kind of person who would be invited to, um, to speak at a major Christian conference, although I think he should have been. But he was single-minded for the gospel. He was so single-minded for the gospel... He was so faithful in applying the gospel to every uh, aspect of life and of ministry and he worked so hard drilling deep into the scriptures so as to teach others. I never walked away from one of his sermons thinking I didn't learn anything. He worked so hard drilling down and getting the nuggets out of the scripture and applying that in a gospel framework, and he would meet with young men uh, on a weekly basis uh, to teach them to do the same. Although he wasn't without his flaws, I remember one Sunday afternoon we were sitting around at his place in his lounge room watching television. We were watching the footy actually, and the doorbell rang. and He went to the doorbell. Uh, went to the door, and he uh, came back. Uh, and I said to him, "Who was that?" He said, oh, I was just some couple who turned up for some marriage counselling. I said, well, where are they? So I told them to come back after the footy. <laughs> so there's a bit of humanity there as well. A bit of humanity. Single-minded, faithful and hardworking. Which is how we should all be, shouldn't we? You know, when, whether we're preparing uh, just to attend Bible study group uh, or to lead Bible study group, whether we're... Uh, teaching uh, school scripture, uh, whether we're uh, helping or teaching in kids' church and in youth group, we should be single-minded, faithful and hard-working and it's all centred on the precious message of the gospel. Which means that in gospel ministry we need to use our minds. Verse 7 Reflect on what I'm saying, says Paul to Timothy, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. That's not clear whether it's what he's just said or what he's about to say. I take it it's both. He goes on to say, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So, how does Paul summarise his gospel? Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. That's it. It's a little bit brief, don't you reckon? Uh, You know, I'd want to expand on that a little bit, but it's actually very profound what he says here. For if Jesus is raised from the dead, then that means that his sacrifice for sins was sufficient. That means that death has been conquered. That means that he is the one who is able to offer eternal life. And if Jesus is descended from David, then that means that he is God's promised king, that he is the king of, over God's everlasting kingdom and it means he should be our king as well. That's the message. That's the gospel. And we are to guard that message but not only guard that message there's a sense in which we are to be guarded by that message so that we don't um, spin off into all sorts of false gospels which uh, may make people feel good but, and keep us from persecution but save no one. So what do we do with this message? Well, Paul finishes in verses 11 through to 13 with uh, what he refers to as a trustworthy saying. Now, it may be that this is part of a hymn that was um, common in churches in those days or that it's part of some kind of thing which Christians knew or sung or memorised. If it's a hymn, then um, Paul actually declares it to be trustworthy and makes it scripture. How about that? Which means that the hymn writer got it right. Verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying, says Paul, if we died with him we will also live with him. Now, that's in a nutshell what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? That by trusting in the death of Jesus that we, we die to ourselves, we give ourselves over to living for Christ and therefore we are joined with him in his resurrected life. Um, but dying for ourselves or dying to ourselves can be tough at times. As we face uh, persecution, as we face temptation and even as people try to chain up our message or we'll muzzle us. But if we endure through that, uh, Paul says that we will reign with King Jesus. Not everyone does endure. Um, his, Paul's mentions in chapter 4, Demas who walked away because he loved the world And you know, you may know of people who have um, professed uh, to love the Lord Jesus, but when being a Christian got tough or unpopular, uh, or, or when the world just seemed to be more attractive because of the things it offers, material possessions, the pleasures, the relationship with someone who doesn't know and love the Lord Jesus. And they've walked away. They've turned their back on God. and They've followed after the world, as did Demas. If we disown him, says the trustworthy saying, he will disown us. That's a warning which should keep us focused on putting... Jesus first in our lives. It's a warning, isn't it? But it comes with a uh, what at first seems to be a strange statement afterwards in verse 13 where the trustworthy saying says that if we are, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Um, some people have interpreted that by saying, well, if we are faithless then he will be faithful and he will uh, reject us as he promised. (laughs) I don't think that's what it's saying. Uh, I think this is actually a comfort because sometimes as sinful people we will temporarily falter. I'm sure that they. I know that there have been times when I, I could have spoken up for Jesus, I could have said something about the gospel and I've just been a little bit too timid and I've, I've withdrawn from doing that and I haven't done so. I've shied away. Have you ever done that yourself? And you feel a bit miserable about that afterwards. You feel, I really let the Lord down. And and, and thankfully at times like that, that God, God is faithful to us uh, and he uh, He is faithful. Uh, he sticks with us like when uh, the apostles when Peter disowned Jesus three times um, he repented and he was forgiven but that should actually uh, not make us complacent that should make us bolder knowing how gracious God has been to us should make us bolder to speak clearly about him next time friends the people who put Paul in prison didn't just hate Paul They hated the gospel and they wanted to stop it from spreading. Now imagine if that had happened. Imagine if by now in Australia in the 21st century that the gospel was this kind of uh, defunct message uh, which you could only learn about if you enrolled in an ancient history course or that there was just this small group of really, really weird people uh, that believed in this ancient thing but no one else did. But the message had basically stopped in the first century. Imagine if it was like, I don't know, Zoroastrianism or something of that nature. But it's not defunct. Because you can, you can put uh, the Apostle Paul in chains, you can put us in chains, but God's word is never chained. Because you can't chain up God. You can't do that. And that's been proven in history. For the gospel was entrusted to reliable men like Timothy, who passed it on to the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that and the generation until 2,000 years later it has reached our ears. And we've heard this precious message and we have believed this precious message. And we've believed it not as a message which can just be dismissed as being an irrelevant description of ancient culture but as a living word which speaks to the real issues of of life now, which speaks to the real issues of God and us and how it is that we can be made right with him forever through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message for us to speak to our world and it's a message for us to treat as the treasured possession that we pass on to the next generation and the generation after that. Has the church in Australia got a much of a future? Well, if Christians keep on preaching that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins and rose from the dead, it's got a great future. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this precious message of the gospel that has been preserved uh, through your word and in the hands of faithful servants uh, down through the centuries. We thank you for its great impact that it has on lives now, indeed on our lives, and pray that we would be those who uh, treat it with faithfulness, uh, teaching others in our world the gospel and, and passing it on to the next generation. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.